Hello there, and welcome back to the Anagram Journey podcast. Today is part two of Suzanne's conversation with Anagram 8 Tony Jones. One of the things that really stood out for me in this episode is when Tony asks if his what he gets paid for should be his passion. And I think that's a common theme that he's had in the past, in this episode and last week's, is how he talks about his ambition setting him apart from everyone else and how that made him unique and he kind of worries about losing that drive and kind of looks to see if there's some fault in that. Something that, you know, as someone who wasn't really passionate about bartending for a long time, I can relate to people who aren't passionate about their jobs and that can be a bummer. If you're a young Anagram 7, you maybe watch the show Corporate on Comedy Central and they're doing kind of a state of the company morale and one of the statistics says that the average employee wonders once an hour, every hour, why is this happening to me? And I laughed really hard at that. So I think it's a good question that's not Anagram specific of whether what you get paid for should be what you're passionate about. And if you have thoughts on that or anything else from today's episode, please join us live on Facebook next Thursday. That's going to be September 20th at noon central where myself and a guest will field some questions uh, about the podcast and about Anagram in general and also just have a nice, lively discussion. So that'll be next Thursday, September 20th at noon central at Life in the Trinity Ministry. Ladies and gentlemen, Suzanne Stabile and Tony Jones. I don't, I'm not, this is not a popularity contest for me. I don't care if you don't like me. Which... They're like, oh, they've never heard like a pastoral type right. figure talk right. like that before. Right. So I, I have a lot of things to say. One is I, too, am not real good with uh, listening to people work through life and try to figure out what they're going to do. Right. So uh, people thought I would be such a great Stephen minister. So I went oh. off and did that. And I'm a pretty good Stephen leader who trains Stephen ministers. But... I'm a terrible Stephen minister because I, I I can't sit with you while you struggle with the same thing week after week right. when I know exactly what you should do that would be helpful to you, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm the same way, but with a different energy behind it as you guys. So I just want to make sure people okay. kind of start to work with that distinction because I feel other people's feelings. I know how to get you in a space where you don't have to feel that anymore and then for God's sakes, I don't have to listen anymore, Yeah, which would right. be really great for me. But one of the things I want to talk about with both of you right now is you just said, Tony, that you say to the counselors, I don't care if you like me. Here's what we've got to do. And both of you, as a seven and an eight, have gone through periods of time, and you still, there are a lot of people that you don't care if they like you. But when you care whether or not people like you, you care a lot. Yep. Can you talk about that? And let's see if we can fetter out a difference between a seven and an eight talking about that. Mm. I thought I was thinking earlier when you said your circle kind of in general is small mm -hmm. and so is mine. And that's partly due to change of lifestyle, change of circumstances, everything, but it just got smaller and smaller and smaller. And I think for me, when I care, it's because at this point in my life, it's because they have something in them that I don't have that I admire or like. So I don't, I was talking earlier before we started recording about uh, a seven who's going to be on the podcast soon, who I just really, I, I'll use her and Hunter Mobley that if he doesn't know this, but I've been working really hard at me and him being best friends because <laughs> I think he's just, he's nothing like me. And I think he's the greatest guy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and when she comes, when Leanne talks, she does such a good job of talking and I'm not friends with lots of sevens. Right. Just because I, I do enough seven for me. I don't need <laughs> other people. <laughs> That's so good. Doing no, more. you don't. Right. Right. So, no competition. I'm, I'm, I'm interesting <laughs> enough. So when she talks and she does such a good job articulating 
what it is that she it's just in her nature of sevenness mm-hmm. but then the high side of it and what it can become mm-hmm. and so i really like that and i so i gravitate towards that and so when i'm when i'm doing better in general in life then i want those people that i really respect i think it's about respect that i really respect to they don't really have to respect me back but i want i want them to like me i yeah. want them to think that I'm that I'm an okay person and enjoy being around me. But then outside of that, it's not a... Doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't... You I need everybody. I, yeah, or in certain scenarios, anyone. Like I don't need, mm-hmm. in a room full of 100 people, I might not need any of those 100 people to, mm-hmm. to like respecting. So I'm going to talk about this, and then after we hear Tony, I'm going to probably have the same kind of response with different words for you. So... Um, In terms of feelings and in terms of time and in terms of being willing to give your time and your feelings to somebody else. If somebody, no matter where we are in the country, no matter how tired you are, no matter what we have going on, if somebody in recovery comes up to you and asks you for something, you're all in. You're all in to hear their story. You're all in to make yourself available to help them if you can. You're all in for people who are trying to get sober or stay sober. And I think your aggressive numbers are particularly gifted at being all in for the time. In in real time, all in for somebody, and then you go on and you don't need them to ever thank you. You don't need to check back in on them. You just give it all right there and leave it and move on. That's caring at a very deep level with zero expectations. And that's what I want to be able to do. And I, when I hear people's stories, I have to have a ritual when I travel because I brought everybody's story home with me. So I now have a ritual that I do before I leave a hotel after I've been teaching somewhere for a weekend or longer where I leave everything there. Oh, yeah. Because if not, it's with me ongoing and then I feel like I need to check on people and and all of that so Tony what's your eight version of Joel's need for people or not and well (coughs) excuse me I I would even like look looking back on this last weekend uh, this last week of camp when I said that the youth pastor at the church was in the room and he said he goes here's what I love about Tony I always know exactly where I stand with him. There's no passive aggressive. There's no holding grudges. It's like he tells you what he thinks and then he moves on. I have the same thing with Courtney because she'll stew. She's really, really hard on herself if she makes a mistake. So hard on herself. And she'll just beat herself up and stew on it for a day or two days. That makes you a better person, though. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So I Stewing on it makes you a better person? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't. She won't. You know, got to really hit home on yourself in that in that one space of I can do this way better next time. Oh, she's so hard on herself. And so, are I, you mindful that she goes to one in stress? Yeah. Well, I mean, am I mindful of it? No, because I say, well, let's just talk about this and work it through. Yeah. And she's like, I'm. First of all, I'm not ready to talk about it. Second, I'm like, well, when can we talk about it? Because I've got an opening next Tuesday, right after <laughs> yoga class. <laughs> and she'll say. Yeah, she's like, I don't know. Maybe never. And I, and on the flip side of it, it's what's interesting is if she, um, if, 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 if I'm hurt or if she's done something that's hurt me Mm -hmm. or gotten sideways with me, I will just like say it. I won't, I won't like, think about how I can say it in a way that's sensitive to her or whatever. I'm just like, look, this pissed me off, uh, blah, blah, blah. I can't believe you did that. And now I'm over it. I'm, and she, it's hard for her to believe that I'm actually over it. But I actually really am over it. Oh, yeah. I, I really move on. Yep. I, I'm not, <clears throat> I don't think about the past. I I'm, hope everybody can really take done. that in. Because yeah. when I say eight anger is my favorite, Because it's out front. You know eights are angry. They let you know. Everybody knows. And then it's done. Done. And I don't think people know how to take that in, that then it's done. Because, you know, 
Like my number, I process verbally. So Joe happens to be in the room with us, and I bet you his thought is, look at that. It's never done. Like I, You want to keep talking about oh, it? Oh, I have to. <laughs> yeah. Courtney doesn't want to talk about it, and I, I just want to talk about it once. You know what I mean? I'm like, we've talked about it. I'm not mad about that anymore. I don't care. I truly don't. Yeah. Um, it's the same with my kids when I'm parenting. But so this to get to your question about friends and people being close to you, I think one of the hard things is people, other people, because they do carry that around with them after a conflict, mm -hmm. they have like the black cloud is over them. They think, oh, I'll never get right with that aid again. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, we're, we were never not right. Yeah. You just did something that hurt me. I told you. And now... Like the clock ticked on and, uh, and away we go. But I do think some people are just like, ah, I don't want that conflict. I don't want, I, like a lot of people are very conflict avoidant. Absolutely. And, but here's what's been interesting to me is that in this, in, in, my, in my circle shrinking, there were like a few eights who also left me. Which really surprised me. Mm -hmm. But I think there are other eights who they don't... I've talked to Danielle about this quite a bit. They don't want... They don't want criticism. As an eight, I don't have a problem with criticism, right. personally. Right. Like, tell me what I did wrong. I will fix it and we'll move on. We'll be fine. I don't have a problem. I really don't have a problem apologizing if I screw up. I, I don't... It doesn't... I don't feel anxiety about apologizing or whatever. Um... So I'm, I'm a little bit at a loss as to why, uh, why, why, we, why I have a smaller circle of friends at age 50 than I did at age 30. I thought I'd be a lot bigger. So I don't know if I really have a great answer for you. Maybe people do want more feeling processing kind of stuff, and I don't offer that. And maybe people don't want straight up truth, and you do offer that. When you think about it, is there a lot of space for more people? I mean, there might be in the upcoming years because of yeah, there might not be that much space in my life for that many for that many people. I think there's some space. There's more. There's more space right now than there are people. You know, and I don't know why that. I don't necessarily know why that is. At Tony Jones is looking for friends. Everyone <laughs> just Jones Tony. At Jones Tony. Yeah, 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 yeah right. on Twitter. On Twitter. <laughs> yeah. So did I answer your question? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I answered your question. I, the, I think this. Um, the conversation answers the question. I don't, I don't know that eights are super easy to be friends with. Let's, let's start there. I think that's true. And so you kind of got to like gird up your loins if you're going into a friendship with an eight. And so there are probably some numbers who are like, yeah, bring it on. I can handle that. I can handle that eight energy. Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid of conflict. I want, I want to know the truth. Mm -hmm. I don't want passive aggressive communication. Mm -hmm. And then there are other people like, oh God, eights are, there's, it's, here's what's interesting maybe. I think some people look at me and think that it takes a lot of energy to be friends with that guy because he's intense. Mm -hmm. And he has opinions about everything. Mm -hmm. And and I look at people who don't communicate directly mm -hmm. and communicate so roundaboutly and think, oh my gosh, those people take so much energy to be friends with. <laughs> just tell me. Yeah. Just freaking tell me what you really think. I'd so, be, you know, that might be part of it. I'd be curious if it was a big energy thing. For instance, I don't know how many, like what the time requirements for an eight are as far as how close the friendship is, but my sister is the closest eight that I am to, and we're really close. Yeah. And we don't spend a ton of time together. And I was saying, I often talk about how much I love her and could absolutely not be married to her. And I think that right. that's so great that she and Billy have that relationship and yeah. she's found him and so on. And there's, there's that person for everyone, but I don't think she and I could be any closer. And I don't think we could spend a lot more time together than we do. So I, I think it is, an and part of it is the energy part. Sometimes, not in a bad way, people think, oh, they're exhausting. And that's not a bad thing sometimes. Sometimes it can be, yeah. dear God. 
you know, after, after spending a day with me and her doing our stuff, it's time to pull back and go, go home. Yeah. For all of us. And I couldn't do that as a young person. I couldn't do that daily with someone. And as an adult, I absolutely couldn't do that. One of the things that I think happened with you and Courtney, I was going to say this earlier and uh, we moved on. I happened to have dinner with Courtney at Blue Mesa, which is where you and Courtney had your first dinner, according to, as a group. You were with other people. Yeah, it was a weird deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, so that night, we, Courtney and I were there for a long, long time, and I got the initial yeah. Courtney, Tony lowdown yeah. of how things occurred. And the thing that I'm aware of is that I think Courtney loves you so much now because she was very careful to make sure of who you were before she allowed herself to be in love with you. Mm. And I think people don't approach aggressive numbers with enough honesty about who, who are you really. I think what people do with aggressive numbers, if they're not aggressive, is... Well, I'm going to say that differently. I think what people do with aggressive numbers is they approach them with what they need mm-hmm. and who they are mm-hmm. and just expect that you're going to be who you are. I, I think there's not enough equality from the get-go because there's not an energy match. Let me say this about, I mean, just based on uh, what Joel just said with his sister, my mom and my brother... I have two brothers. I'm close to both of them. I'm particularly close to one. At least in a communication, like virtually every day on the phone, we talk almost every day. He's a five. My mom's a five. My brother, who's a five, he he's cool with me. I I can tell him what I th- he's going through some really hard times, and I openly give advice to him, and he knows he can he can uh, reject it or embrace it or. When, when I say things that like, oh, my therapist said that last week too. Then he thinks like, oh, you, that must be good advice. I should yeah. follow that or there whatever. You go. My mom, though, if I ever say anything remotely like that, why are you always criticizing me? Mm-hmm. Why are you always criticizing me? I'm like, I'm not criticizing you. This is how adults have relationships. Mm-hmm. We tell each other like, you got a booger hanging out of your nose yeah. or what, yeah. like, you know, or stop yelling at your kids or you're not a great driver. You know, yeah. you, you should use your turn signal more. What? Like, that's what adults do. Oh, not for, you know, that's not, that's not really, my mom doesn't like that. My brother is okay with that. And it's interesting that for, I think in my first marriage, I was uh, really critical. I mean, maybe with good cause or whatever, but super critical and that took a toll, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm not critical of Courtney. Now, part of it is because I just think, like, Courtney is incredible. Yeah. And, but even when Courtney makes mistakes, here's the thing. I know she's so hard on herself that I don't don't have to to be hard on her. Right. So I just tell her, like, everything's going to be fine. She doesn't, it doesn't look like everything's going to be fine when I look at her face Mm because she doesn't think it's going to be fine. Um, But I, so with, with my kids, let me say this. You can tweet this. You can tweet this from the show. I think eights make the best parents and the best dog trainers. Oh, my. (laughs) I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek a little bit, but here's what I'll tell you about being an eight as a parent and also as someone who trains hunting dogs for my own personal use. I, um, my kids always know right where they stand. Right. With me. I correct them. When they make mistakes, even I have emotion with it. I get angry. But then it's over. And then we move on. I hug them. We're good. And then I'm driving them to hockey practice or whatever. Um, It doesn't, there's not like a black cloud that lingers over our house after one of the kids screws up, which all adolescents do. Sure. I just look at them and I think to myself, like, you're operating from your reptilian brain right now. (laughs) Your prefrontal cortex is not not fully formed. Right. 
<laughs> Nevertheless, like mm-hmm. I need to correct this behavior of yours. The consequences are going to be severe. So for instance, my son did my oldest, who's an incredible kid, as you've seen on, uh-huh. on the internet or whatever, and came in second in the nation in, in debate and in the national debate tournament. It's going to an Ivy league school. And he's so like, I'm just saying this to say like, he's a super smart and, and high achieving kid. But like he made a terrible mistake last year and the next day I had his car towed away and I said, I will never buy you another car. Like that was it. I told you if you did this, mm-hmm. you'd lose your car. Mm-hmm. That's it. I, I've bought you your one car. I just donated it to Minnesota Public Radio. <laughs> your next car you will be buying. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You might be 30 when you do it, but it's not yeah. going to be me. So the one thing I think I'm able to do that I see other people around me, including people in my family who parent, they have a hard time. They'll make an ultimatum and then their kid will just like jump right over that line. Red line in the sand. Like, if you do this, I'm going to take away your video games. And the kid does that and like, well, don't do it again. Uh I really mean it this time. And for me, I have no trouble because I don't care if my kids like me. I mean, I'm not trying to win a popularity contest right. with my kids. Right. I'm trying to, to help them to be well-adjusted adults. And so I kind of have, I don't know how much, how much swearing do you have on your podcast? Am I the, am I the only person who's ever sworn on your podcast? Not he did. Okay, so. You're in good company. <laughs> Somebody... She cusses like a sailor, but I edit a lot. Oh, you edit a lot? I would say this. I have a no bullshit style of parenting. There's a no bullshit style of parenting. It's like. You, what you see is what you get. Yep. If I tell you how it's going to be, that's how it's going to be. Yep. If, if I say we're having a family dinner on Sunday night at 7 p.m., by God, you better be there. Mm-hmm. Like, we have to make this stuff happen. I'm running this family till you turn 18, and then all bets are off. Like, good luck. Tanner's yep. 18. So I'm like, you're on your own now. And the only thing is, if you don't go to classes, I will stop paying for your college. Sure. That's the only thing. Other than that, like... I think don't, this goes don't be back, an idiot. I think that touches back on your question earlier because I'm the same way parenting style of I've got no problem with this is a consequence. Yeah. But then it's the afterwards that I I work with especially with Jolie like really hard because she gets she understands consequences and she gets them and then when they hit her then she gets really hurt. She's like, I know, I know, but yeah. she's crying. Yeah. She's and six. Then, yeah. And we've been be tough on her. No, well, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I've been doing it with her since she was three. Yes, you yeah. have. And, and hold it like, and yeah, the foot down about things. And then afterwards, though, it's not, I don't have the energy and strength that you have there of this is the way it is. I don't care. Friends. I'm like, our, we do five minutes of talking things out after that. Do you understand this? This is why that happened? Yeah. Then I do, I over logic with it where I say, you know, I walk her through it. You know why all this happened, right? You know I love you. You know there's consequences, et cetera. And I think that's a, a big seven, eight difference. Yeah. I think it is too. I think that's a big seven, eight difference. And I just think sevens are more emotional than eights are. One of my favorite stories recently with Joel and Jolie is something happened that really hurt him deeply, not with Jolie, but somewhere else. And he was a little bit teary about that. And she asked him what was wrong. And he said, oh, it's just my allergies. They're really, really, really bad. And uh, a little while later, she was crying. And Joel said, are you crying? She said, no, my allergies are just really, really bad. I love so what you get that. for lying to your kids. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think um, there are advantages and disadvantages with parenting with every number. Sure, of course. I also think that there need to be age-appropriate times when you learn lessons on your own. Yep. And 18 is a big age to learn lessons on your own. And if you've never experienced consequences for your behavior until you're 18, and then all of a sudden that's the new rule. Oh, that's tough adjustment. Yeah. Well, it's not, that's not just, yeah, it's not just, yeah. Yeah. I've been wanting to talk to you about something for a long time and I've had a podcast for a while and I have thought all along, that's one of the things I'm going to talk to Tony about. 
if he comes on my podcast. Okay. So I have no idea what year it was, but it's way, way, way back. And you here in, at the Micah Center did a day or two workshop on social media. Yeah. With people who didn't know anything. Right. Back in the day when a lot of people didn't know anything. Didn't know anything. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I remember writing as fast as I could write and then going home and practicing with what you talked about. I'm remembering this day for the first time. I remember you talking about hashtags. You were explaining to people what a hashtag was. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, that's right. It was a, it was a very important day. Hmm. Did you have, do you have any idea what year that was? That would have been, boy, uh, 2010 around there probably. Mm -hmm. 09, 2010 in there. Social media boot camps we did, yeah. Yes, yes. That's Social exactly. Phonics was a little company Doug and I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you have any idea then how dangerous it could be? No. Absolutely not. No, I did, I did not see the dark side, and I did not see it coming when I would be, I fell victim to people on the internet. Um, now, of course, I think we're all well aware of how dangerous it is that it's completely unrestricted speech yep. and unpoliced. I think it's uh, a trap yeah. for every Enneagram number. In a different way. You know, for me, I obviously made part of my living as this very provocative blogger. Right. And I got, um, so I, I made a name for myself on the internet. I started blogging in, uh, like, when I was at Princeton in, like, 2004, I started blogging. Early, early. Really early. And I got, I, I got on Twitter in the summer of 2008 while we were on the Church Basement Roadshow with Mark Scandrett and Doug Padgett. I was there. Yeah. Yeah, here in town. That was one of the worst nights of my life. Fort but, Worth. I went to Fort Worth. Oh, you went to Fort Worth. The night in Dallas was one of the worst nights of my life. Um, for other things that went down as a, you know, in, in my personal life. One of the best <laughs> but, nights, though, too, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, two sides to every Yeah, night. yeah, the every, beginning every of... Every worst night has another yeah, side. Yeah, the beginning of, of free, you know, yeah, it was, yeah. took a long time to get to freedom. But, yeah. Um, and... So I was early and I made, you know, I made a name for myself as this provocative blogger on Pathos. And I had a ton of people following me, you know, and I had a hundred thousand page views a month and I was, I don't know, making six or 800 bucks a month just for my blog. And I would lash out about, I'd say something about Rob Bell or lash out at Mark Driscoll or John Piper. Or I would, you know, mm -hmm. this or that. And um, then, of course, it was provocative bloggers who took me down, basically. So it was like the very, it was like um, the very thing that I had done. It, it, was, it was like an Aesop's fable or something. Well, there's just two sides to everything. Yeah, the very thing that I had done to other people was done to me. And I never ruined anybody's career or whatever, but I mean, I for sure piled on when people made mistakes mm -hmm. in the public sphere and then I would blog about it and people would comment and, you know, they, they my posts would go viral and things like that. And then it happened to me and there was no way to stop it, mm -hmm. you know, and it's still there. Like to this day, that stuff's going to be about me or like it'll be a line in my obituary or a paragraph in my obituary that those accusations that were made falsely against me. So it's, it, yeah, I think it's, okay. I'll tell you this, like my kids, my kids are not, they use like Instagram or whatever, but they mm -hmm. do not post their opinions ever, ever, ever on Facebook, Twitter or whatever. They, they, they've, Try, they've tried to get that stuff taken off the internet yeah. that's about me. So um, I want to talk about provocative because eights by nature 
want to be where the energy's high. Yep. And sometimes eights say pr- provocative things not because they're particularly attached to that thought or that idea, but to start a conversation that has some energy and some uh, deeper and maybe exciting thinking about it. And somewhere in the last 10 years, we've lost that space where it's just provocative, where it's just to make you think or just to make you wonder. And we've crossed over into space where it's mostly opinion under the definition of Richard Rohr, which is that opinions are underdeveloped thinking. Mm. So I think the difference in opinions and provocative are a matter of thought behind what's being said and some consideration for more than one side of what's being said. And opinions are, are simply, here's what I think about that. Yeah. So, and I don't think there's a way out of that for us, collectively and culturally. Yeah, yeah. Do you? Uh, I did I, hear yesterday on the radio that forty percent of people that they uh, polled worldwide are dropping off of some social media yeah. platforms. If my if my kids are like harbingers of the future in any way. Uh, I think, I think the, I think we're on the wane, waning side of the vibrancy of, of that, that kind of internet opinionator culture. So what I mean by that is my kids will post on Snapchat or Instagram Uh that's image based. Right. Right. They do not post their opinions about things. They don't go on Facebook like my friends do Mm -hmm. and just so in such a predictable way, grab some headline from the Washington post Mm -hmm. about Trump post it on their Facebook page and then write five or six sentences about, can you believe this guy? Like Mm -hmm. outrage, outrage, outrage. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I'm deaf to their, their outrages. It's constant. There there's constant outrage. My kids don't use the internet like that. And I don't see them getting to a point of being like, Hey, I'm going to start, sharing my outrage on the internet. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, some kids their age do. But when I talk to them about their friends, they're like, no, everybody's kind of over it. They're, everyone's kind of over the constant tweeting about how mad you are about everything. Right. The constant Facebooking about how mad you are about everything. I think Facebook is does not have a bright future, personally. Right. Twitter is still used by enough like journalists, politicians, and intelligentsia mm-hmm. that it probably will. But there's a lot of crap on Twitter too. You know, I was sitting on the front row for that boot camp. Yeah. And when you talked about Twitter in 140 characters, yeah, you looked right at me and said, "You can just take a rest. You're not going to be using this." <laughs> Well, it's 280 now, so you can probably do it. I don't know. I don't think you've I can. had some great tweets when you were tweeting like the. The number of yeah, the day, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. that was great. Yeah. That's that, those those like gimmicky things yeah. help because yeah. they give us like a framework of what to write about. But I I post so much less than I used to post on all those platforms, right. and I shut down my blog. Um, honestly, like my latest opinion piece was published in the Minneapolis newspaper. Interesting, because I. That's what I used to think when I was blogging. Like, oh, I'm just like, I'm the new wave of the op-ed sure, writer. Sure, sure. But then you realize, well, when everybody's have it, has it and it's totally unpoliced, and at least you have a gatekeeper of an editor at a newspaper who's right. going to read it and be like, this is not worthy of the newsprint. We're going to use it, you know. But, or this one or really is. is. Or, or it is. Or it is worthy, yeah. But on the internet, the, the pixels are unlimited, you know. Yeah. So, um I think you're right. I, I think I was I think I was naive to the evil that the internet would do, even in my own life. I would also say, looking back from that time, I was a big proponent of postmodern deconstruction. Right. Just of ideas. Define that. Of ideas of ideas and institutions. Just that like 
the the church of the 20th century was this this kind of bureaucratic mess of an institution and it needed to be dismantled mm -hmm. and people needed to figure out what Christianity would look like post church mm -hmm. post denomination and that's a similar thing to the internet where I guess I was not fully cognizant of how destructive that could be for people. Mm -hmm. Scary. I, Scary. I, yeah. And, and if you don't come along behind it with something constructive mm -hmm. and with a, 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 like a productive response, what's the point of taking it apart? Are you aware that only somebody whose orientation of time is the future could have seen things that way? See, I, I feel like I'm behind in, in, in the influence that I would like to have in conversations that I was on the edge of. Yeah. So I got to be on the edge of the conversations that all of you were having because Joe and I got to be there for some reason. Right, right. And if I had been where I am now then, yeah. then I would have talked to all of you about people's orientation to time and the fact that unless people are oriented to the future... Everything you're saying is just scary. That's true. It was so scary for so many people what we had to say. And there were there are people, of course, I just would look at them and I wouldn't think about them about their number. I would just be like, why are you so nostalgic right. for a church that no longer exists? Or, I mean, quite honestly, talk about our political system. Like, why are these people so nostalgic for a certain version of America right. that actually wasn't that great right. if you were, like, a black person, mm -hmm. for instance? But... I guess I could I can see that that they're thinking about the past and it just seems to me so ludicrous that people actually think we can go backwards and reclaim something that once was. That's just not how human culture works. It hasn't for ten thousand years of human civilization. We don't go backwards. I mean, we might nuclear war ourselves backwards right. or climate change ourselves into the you know Iron Age, mm -hmm. but. Um, we're not going to think our way backwards. You know what I mean? I do. And there are people who would sit here and say to you, whose orientation to the time, to time is the past. There are people who would say, look at all the things, though, that the past taught us that we must never repeat, you know, because that's their frame of reference. Yeah. It, yeah. it all has to do with how you see. And we have a very difficult time allowing for nine ways of seeing. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think that's right. And and it'd be good to, you know, obviously we need to learn from the past, but we can't go back to the past. No, we can't. I think. No. I don't, I don't think we It can. has to come forward with yeah, us, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think people whose orientation of time is the past don't feel listened to, and then they don't feel heard. And I There think, are a lot of people right now who don't feel listened to. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. In that church context, though, I think those folks didn't feel heard. Because oh, y'all right. were already kind of yes. out, out ahead of it because you experienced it. You didn't need to hear about somebody else's experience. You were just kind of out ahead of that, right? And I, I, I think I'd like for you to talk about what is organically happening in your life in the last three or four years. Because I think aggressive numbers, eights in particular, tend to think that they have to make things happen. Huh. So what's happening that you're not making happen? Well, having kids, it's, it, you can't make that. You can't make or not make their developmental growth happen. It just happens, and you have to respond to it as a parent. So I think I've spent a lot of time doing that. Um, probably at the cost of my vocation because honestly vocation my vocation to me was always my motivator like that was my ambition mm -hmm. that my work would be the most important thing mm -hmm. and then um I had to fight for my kids mm -hmm. and so that became the most important thing and work became secondary like work became a means to an end and the end was a paycheck health insurance, mm -hmm. stability, et cetera. And don't you think that has really tempered your aggression? 
No question. And I is mean, that a good thing? It's fu- uh, I mean, if it's tempered my aggression, that's a good thing. If it's if it's mitigated my ambition, that's what I worry about. I, I do worry about that. Because there are days when I think I could just move to the woods and like hunt and fish mm-hmm. and never look at the internet again. Mm-hmm. And then I think, what? Who is that guy? I don't know that guy. You know, that's not me. I'm, I was always the one in the thick of it getting on an airplane to go give a talk at a big conference and then write a book that would come out and blah, blah, blah. Um, and all that stuff was taken away and I invested in my kids, which I don't regret at all. And, you know, people always say, you, you hear this like, um, if you had to choose between your kids and your job, what would you choose? Well, of course you choose your kids. I, I, didn't, I didn't have the choice. The choice was made for me by the internet and by some of my friends, you know? So I, the choice was made for me, family over vocation. Um, so the organic growth in the past three or four years has all been around those kids and that family and my, this incredible marriage I have. And like my dad died in February and um, helping my mom through that. Um, but even, but even I'll even say this. I had in 2017, no, no, sorry, in 2018, I've had zero speaking gigs. And that's the first time I've had zero speaking gigs since 1993. Not one. Not one invitation to speak. Um, and I spoke at my father's funeral and I spoke at my cousin's funeral a month later I, I gave the homily and both of those I, I received so much adulation from people who were at those and I felt so much like that is what I should be doing that's what I was created to do to stand up in front of people and talk about God and meaning and life and truth and death. And I don't get to do it anymore. And I don't think I ever will. Like, I think the, that chapter is closed. It doesn't, it, it's not coming back. There's no indications. People, oh, that's going to, you're going to turn the corner. And, and, you know, it'll all come back around. It's not coming back around. Or it would have. Like, when I got custody of my kids, that would have... It would have started to come back around, and it hasn't. So I don't sit around and grieve that loss, but it, I, I am trying to be attentive to that. I'm trying to be attentive to the fact that when I speak at my dad's funeral and I walk down and I think, that was incredible. That's I love to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's my dad's funeral, you know? Um, so I was grieving myself and fighting through emotion the whole time I was speaking. So... I guess in answer to your question, a big part of my organic growth right now is coming to terms with what I've lost and no birthdays hit me harder than 50. Yeah. It, it was That's a, an eight thing. I think Joey it was a really struggles. Big, big, big one. Yeah. Because now I'm like, I'm probably going to work for 15, 20 more years. I'm probably going to live for 30 more years. <laughs> so... What am I going to do with this? That's such orientation to the future. Totally. You don't know how long you're going to work or how long you're going to live. I've got Look a ballpark. Look at me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I get it. There are exceptions to the rule. But I'm, I'm trying to come to terms with, I'm trying to process and be sensitive to who I am right. relative to who I always thought I was going to be. I always thought I was going to be a senior pastor of a big church. Yep. Preaching every week. Managing a big staff, yeah. big budget, yeah. you know, going on mission trips to remote corners of the world, seeing, meeting new people. And that's not, I, I live like a pretty circumscribed life now. So the organic growth is trying to come to terms with that and the changes that have taken place in my life and think, uh, how do I be a good dad? How do I, how can I be a good spouse how can i help my mom near her own death you know age and 
be ready to die and be okay with who she is, be a good brother to my two brothers. That's the, that's the organic growth right now for me. My question, my, my question for myself is, does what I get paid for need to be my passion? Because it always was, and that's, and I've always looked at people who did jobs that weren't their passion mm-hmm. and thought, oh, what a waste. Why would you ever do that? And now I'm like, now I do that. I'm good at my job. I like it, but it is not what I was born to do. So, so uh, Richard Rohr again, the best protection from the next word of God is the last word of God. Huh. And here's what I think, Tony Jones. Let's hear it. I think people uh, right now, because you lived what I would say were your priorities so well for these last few years, um, I I think very few people know what you would want to talk about. So if if you had a stage... What would you want to talk about? These days, I would want to talk about finding God in the outdoors. Yeah. That's a big one for me. That's that's in addition to Courtney and my kids and, and the rest of my family, what got me through um, the hardest times was being able to go outside. Mm-hmm. It's a huge huge um thing in my life that i spent a lot of time on so enneagram teaching is that you have one wing for the first half of life and you add the other wing in the second half of life no kidding and all that's nine wing stuff you know nines Mm. find all their peace outside because there are no expectations yeah there's nothing they have to do but be yeah yeah and um so i i would like to do this i'd like for us to do another podcast in uh, six months. Okay. And I'd like for you to think about between now and then. You know, I don't have a million listeners or any of that. But you I, might buy six months from now, <laughs> the way it's growing, my goodness. There are a lot of good folks. Yeah. Uh, good folks. I, I think um, I'd like to talk to you about what you want to talk about now. And I, I hope that what this time together has offered is an opportunity for folks who knew you then and who haven't known you through this organic transition Mm -hmm. a chance to get to know you now. I think we move so quickly we forget people. You know, I think we forget folks. Yeah. And I think if the voice isn't there, we don't have any idea what people are thinking about because I I um I think people have you associated with a movement that people aren't talking about anymore. That's true. And yep. so perhaps folks don't know what you have to say. It's true. And I don't have a blog anymore and I haven't had a book come out in a few years yeah. and yeah. So I, that's l- absolutely what happens. Yeah. And so yeah. We, we, this culture, if you're not constantly putting content out into the world and yeah. getting people's attention. Yeah, they absolutely move on to other speakers, authors, podcasters, whatever. Sure. Yeah, and true. I think an, a male eight who's experienced a lot of pain, walked through it instead of around it, has emerged with some new ways of seeing and some new things to say. I, I, th- I think that could be great. So I'm going to plan a date. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm going to invite you to the dance. I want you to sign my dance card. <laughs> and um, I'll uh, plan on hosting a conversation that has everything to do with what you know at 50. Yeah. And what you plan to do between now and 65. And I think most people know about the Enneagram that threes have to have failure, and um, so do sevens and eights. It's a different thing. But I think what eights have to learn, they have to learn, is that they're just not in control. 
And then they have a completely yeah. different way of seeing the world after they learn that. And not necessarily a different way of talking about how they see the world. Interesting that you make that distinction. Yeah, that's super interesting because I think I've, I think I'm coming to terms with the first, but that second one, uh, yeah, I've tried to do some writing like around the outdoors and wilderness and how, how valuable that's been to me. It's, it's been a struggle. It's a lot easier for me to write the kind of books I used to write, which were very sure. intellectualized Christianity. So let me write a book about the doctrine of the atonement, or yeah. let me write a cultural history of the emerging church movement, yeah. you know? Uh, it's harder to be like, you mentioned Gerald May, like yeah. one of the great ever nature spirituality books was his, yes. you know, and I've read it and like, it seems so easy. His writing is so simple, mm -hmm. but it's so deep. Swear to goodness, I cannot do it yet. I'm trying to do it, but I cannot do it. So nothing in this culture supports vulnerability yeah and nothing in how you see the world is innate supports vulnerability this is true and yet it's your great teacher it is my great teacher yeah so teach us what you've learned All that's right. what i'm going to ask i you. will pay attention to that for the next six months okay i'm glad that i've known you as long as i have every yeah. day that i have yeah um, I'm looking forward to the days that come, and I want you to know that I told Joe that I wanted to go get a cabin and read and look at the water and kind of just be, and I wanted it enough that I asked him to really, really think about it and pray about it and not give me an offhanded response. And you know how I feel about him. Uh -huh. And he came back, and his response to me was, I just don't think that's what God has in store. Hmm. And um, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, I, I just don't think that's what God has in store for you, Tony Jones. All right. So we'll see. Yeah. You can take me out to a big fancy dinner somewhere. <laughs> Let me have dessert if I'm right. <laughs> All right. That's a date. All right. Thanks. Thanks for, for having me on. Time. And it's great to be here. Yeah. Good to have you. The Enneagram Journey podcast is produced by Life in the Trinity Ministry. Music is provided by Solve Lighthouse. Professional photography is courtesy of Courtney Perry. We invite you to visit theenneagramjourney.org for more information, and we welcome your questions and comments. Thank you for being with us today.